Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. And this is another New Comics Wednesday episode, the final one of the year. So just a reminder that uh, the New Comics Wednesday episodes, unlike the uh, DC Spotlights, are spoiler-free. So if you want to know about any of the DC books, you got to go and check out the DC Spotlight from yesterday. Just remember that we cover it all in detail with plenty of spoilers. This episode... Today, we're talking about some mostly Marvel books, kind of a lighter week, um, but this one, there will, there will not be any spoilers, So, uh, and there's also a lot fewer books. Like Again, and we talked about it when we did the Marvel episode, or, or sorry, we did the DC episode. Just, I mean, DC never gave us a break at all through the whole month of, uh, of December. I mean, there, there were 15, four, 15 books that we talked about yesterday, so just, just a massive amount. <clears throat> As opposed to this one, where I think there's only eight, and obviously we're not talking about everything, but uh, yeah, a little bit of a, a lighter week, um, except for DC, like I said. So I uh, hope you guys all had a good holiday. Um, let's go ahead and dive right in. First book Jay's going to talk about is a, a book we've been pretty much covering every Wednesday now since it comes out weekly. It's uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, and this particular issue, issue number 83 is written and drawn by Patrick Gleason. Maury Hollowell and Nathan Fairbairn handle the colors. Chris Eliopoulos and Joe Caramagna do the letters. So uh, we saw last time and we talked about it. I don't think either one of us was super impressed because it it felt a little out of place. Um, I mean, not that it was terrible, but it was like a Halloween one-shot issue of Spider-Man last time from Solid and Ahmed. I feel like we're back on on track with this issue, moving the uh, moving the overall story beyond the corporation, Ben Riley as Spider-Man and all that F- feels like we're moving it forward as opposed to last issue felt a little bit like a fill-in issue. So uh, anyway, what did you think of this one, Jay? I liked it. Cause like you said, it was kind of like out of place last issue. Uh, this one has it back with Peter, you know, the Spider-Man um, there's no Ben in this one, which was interesting. Um, the beginning of the story starts off with uh, Ben's, not Ben, uh, yeah, Ben's girlfriend, which is funny because she's a redhead too, but I always thought that was kind of neat. But uh, I don't want to get too much away of the story. It's just the opening sequence. You think it's going to be, uh, I guess, happening, and I guess in real time, but you find out there's more to the story. Um, it's it's more of a, God, I don't want to give away the, the whole concept of the story, but it's really good. Uh, it's Peter pretty much fighting his, uh, his uh, I guess his, the demons of dealing with the pain and trying to rec- uh, recuperate from his pain, uh, you know, in his coma. And he has some help, I guess, in, a, in a mentally trying to get through the pain. But the ending is pretty good because you find out that what you thought was going on wasn't really going on because you see the, the bandages and whatnot. But it was a good story. I like it because it goes back to Peter. The artwork was really good. And I think it's one of the better stories so far that's come out with uh, Spider-Man because it kind of focuses on Peter. But what's really going on with him? I like it a lot. Yeah, I thought the artwork by Patrick Gleason was phenomenal. He, he's such a fantastically talented artist. He can um, he can sort of change his style to suit the story so so very well. He can mimic other styles. Uh, we saw it in the Action Comics 1000 story that he did with Peter J. Tomasi, where um, it was like each of the pages, each of the 
double page splashes are like a different decade and he sort of changed the style to suit. It was fantastic. So yeah, this one has some great moments in it, some great emotional stuff for Peter. Um, and just goes to show how much of an emotional character, how much of who Spider-Man is, is rooted in his upbringing, uncle Ben, aunt May, all that kind of stuff. So fantastic job, fantastic art. Uh, maybe my favorite issue of the new run so far. So I, th I thought it was fantastic. Uh, my first book's also a Marvel book. It's Devil's Reign Part 2. This is from writer Chip Zdarsky. Art is by Marco Cicchetto. Colors by Marcio Menez. Letters by Clayton Cowles. Um, didn't want to spoil when we're talking about the first issue, but basically what's going on here, now that I can talk about it, uh, in a recent issue of Daredevil, the, the most recent issue, because Daredevil's not coming out as long as Devil's Reign's being released. It's on hiatus. But the most recent issue of Daredevil, uh, the Kingpin had gotten married to, to Typhoid Mary, and they're up at Kingpin's cabin, remote cabin in the woods. He has all these files there, and he has a file on Daredevil. And he doesn't understand why it would be blank. It, it, the file says something like Daredevil's identity or something, right? which is something that the Kingpin has known for a very, very, very long time. But in the Charles Soule run, and huge credit to Charles Soule that he was able to put that genie back in the lamp. Um, fantastic the way that, they, that he did it. And I won't spoil it for you. You can go figure it out or read it and discover it for yourself because it's definitely worth reading. But the thing is, because of the way that it was done, the Kingpin has this file, but when he looks at the pages, it's blank. And that gets his mind going, like, why would I have saved all these blank paper? Why would I have a file called Daredevil Secret Identity? So he, he gets all pissed off and all riled up and decides once and for all, he's going to take out Daredevil. He's going to take out Electra. He's going to take out all the heroes. He's he's just pissed off for whatever reason. I, it's not quite clear to me. I mean, dude, you just got married. Chill out, you know, but instead he goes the other way and he flips out and he decides that he's going to do something that's already been done before. Chip Zdarsky's sort of borrowing um, from previous stories, which is why a little bit this feels derivative, and I'm not totally on board with it yet, but he decides he's going to outlaw superheroes in New York City, right? Now, again, this has been done in Civil War. You have to be registered, blah, blah, blah. So that's where the whole um, derivative feeling of it comes, and, and even goes so far as to then hire all these villains and deputize them, like Crossbones and the Thunderbolts and Taskmaster and all these guys to go around and and take out the, the heroes that won't uh, capitulate, right? Uh, we, we saw Mr. Fantastic and Sue Storm get uh, arrested last issue and sent to jail, this special high-tech jail and whatnot. So while I appreciate the story that Zdarsky's telling, I, I don't necessarily know what his end game is, and that's fine. Um, but I can't help but feel like, well, you know, we've had this story before, like multiple times at this point. So how is this really any different? You know, I mean, maybe a little more street level, um, but sort of feel like I, I'm all for Zdarsky. I'm, I've become a Zdarsky fan over the last year and I'm all for him sort of headlining a, a big event. But this doesn't feel like it because, again, it just feels like this has been done before. The only difference now is it's it's still you know, rather than being a civil war, heroes against heroes, it's heroes against villains. But in the end, it's the same thing. It's the same idea. It's sparking everything off, right? Like no more superheroes. And maybe it's just the fact that we also just had this in DC with the whole magistrate thing, right? Where no masks in Gotham. So 
it's feeling a little played out at this point. Uh, but I mean, it is still a high quality comic, um, you know, setting that aside that it feels like this has been done before. The art is absolutely fantastic. Colors are great. Uh, the pacing from Zdarsky is awesome. So is the, the scripting. And uh, there's plenty of awesome moments in the story. Um, and maybe in the end, it'll take a turn and be you know much different than Civil War, Civil War II, these other types of stories that we've had like this before. And it won't feel so derivative. But here in the beginning, it, it does. Um, so I... I'm not recommending it at this point, but I'm also not not recommending it. If you like Sadarsky's work, you'll like it. If you like what he's doing on Daredevil, you'll like it. Pick it up and flip to the book. If you like the art, then pick it up um, because it, it very well make, may take a turn. So jury's still out on this one. I'm, I'm not, I don't dislike it. I don't like it. I'm staying neutral. And we'll see how it all plays out in the end. Uh, okay, up next... One of Jay's favorite titles has returned. It's Ice Cream Man number 27. This is from W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martin Marazzo, colors by Chris O'Halloran, and lettered by good old Neon. Uh, I don't know what this is about, but there's a giant cockroach on the cover, and that just freaked me the hell out. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I'm looking at it right now, and it gives me the heebie-jeebies. So what's going on here, Jay? <laughs> well, one thing about uh, Ice Cream Man, the stories are all very unique, um, which is interesting because uh, sometimes you'll see the Ice Cream Man show up or some kind of variation of him. And, and uh, but this one is not he wasn't innocent, was kind of strange, but it's very uh, creepy because it focuses around a guy named Greg. And I guess his world of being a human, and it might give you anything because you see the cover of him being a human and being a cockroach. <laughs> but it's really dark. Uh, it's very devious it's just creepy like i said it's just super creepy it's a good book but like i said it gets you definitely get that uh, twilight zone vibe in the story because it's kind of like seeing both sides of the world i guess but uh i don't want to get way too much but it's really good if you like ice cream man up to this point if you're a reader or a fan of this story you'll love this one it's really creepy and i know you haven't read any of them but if you're going to read this one this would be the good one to jump on because it's just like wow it's out there <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I took the cover to be metaphorical. Apparently it's not. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I mean, not that I'm, I'm not scared of them or anything, but like. They're creepy. Yeah, co cockroaches are not something that I'm a, I'm a fan of. Like they're, they're, maybe it comes from being a chef for so long and never wanting to see them in my kitchen and they carry disease or whatever. They, they're just gross. They creep me out. So yeah, I'll have to pass on that, uh, but I'll take your word for it. I'll take your word for it that it's creepy. Uh, okay. Up next, another Marvel book, Death of Dr. Strange, we're up to issue four. Uh, one thing I'll say real quick, there's a checklist in the back of the book for these Death of Dr. Strange uh, regular uh, miniseries issues. And then also the tie-ins where we've had Death of Dr. Strange Avengers. We've had Strange Academy Presents Death of Dr. Strange. We've had a Spider-Man Death of Dr. Strange, a White Fox, a Blade, we're supposed to have gotten an X-Men slash Black Knight, um, but I don't think it's come out yet. It's crossed off on the list because this is De Death of Doctor Strange number four. And there's supposed to be only two left, Death of Doctor Strange Bloodstone and then Death of Doctor Strange number five. But again, I don't think Death of Doctor Strange X-Men Black Knight has come out yet. So because uh, I was like, wait, did I miss one? And then I went looking in my press preview copies and I didn't find it. And I don't remember seeing it on the shelf at my local comic shop. So uh, I think they, they may have skipped one, maybe got delayed, but anyway, 
Uh, Jed McKay is the writer on this. Lee Garbett is the artist. Antonio Fabella does the colors. Corey Petit on letters. The art is fantastic as it's been throughout. This has been a very intriguing story with Doctor Strange having been murdered, but set up this sort of fail safe that when he did die, that a version of him from much earlier in his life, when, you know, just a few months into his career as Doctor Strange, would be transported forward in time to that moment where those moments right after he'd been killed and he would basically investigate his own murder. And so that's what's been happening, but he's been sort of struggling because he didn't realize it would be so long <clears throat> in a way, I guess it's a good thing. Right. But he's talking about trying to figure out what's going on when he doesn't even know who he was because so much time had had passed, but he does figure it out in this issue. Obviously I'm not going to spoil it, but we do figure out where we're told who it is. They don't, um, drag it out more than necessary. I appreciate appreciated that from Jen McKay, who it is makes sense. Um, and now all that's left is to sort of resolve it and find out who the new Sorcerer Supreme of, of Earth is going to be. So, uh, you know, I talked about talked about it during the first issue that, you know, I'm not, I don't have that much Doctor Strange knowledge. I, I collected the series in the 90s, although I never read any of it. I always wanted to, but uh, I was trying to go back and and fill in the whole run and never did before I read it. So someday. Um, but that being said, I dove all in on this. I've been reading all the issues and I think Jed McKay does a real good job of making this accessible for uh, people who maybe don't know that much about Dr. Strange. Uh, I appreciate the voice of strange and his, um, his allies. Uh, I like the, the scripting that McKay does on this and it sort of, it sort of suits what's, what's going on overall in, in uh, Marvel, which, which is interesting because McKay, I'm starting to see Jed McKay's name like more and more and more. Like he's writing this, he's writing Black Cat. He did the, um, the Infinity tie-in annuals that were kind of an event in and of itself. He, he's doing uh, the Timeless one shot that has to do with Kang. Like he's becoming a bigger and bigger deal over that at Marvel. So that, that's pretty interesting. He's got some good ideas and seems like he's tying in a lot of things or, or foreshadowing a lot of things. And so I really appreciate that. And I think this Dr. Strange book is, is sort of foreshadowing um, the way some of these changes may happen going forward in the, in the Marvel universe. So, uh, okay. Up next, uh, the, the return of another one of Jay's favorite books recently, Stray Dogs. Uh, it's just a two-parter. It's called Stray Dog Dog Days. Uh, from Tony Flex and Trish Forstner, colors by Brad Simpson, layouts by Tony Rodriguez with Mike Vasquez. Uh, yeah, tell us what this one's about, Jay. Well, like I said, I am a huge fan of the story because, like I said, it's very, uh, as we said, it looks like Disney, but it's not Disney. And the first uh, run was a, a, a treat and a blast, and the ending was amazing. So I was really looking forward to this book. When you send me my books, this is the first book I picked out, of course. Uh, it's my book of the week because I have always enjoyed the storyline. I like this a lot because we get like a, a glimpse of uh, of the dogs that were all captured. So we're seeing of how they got caught, like a, kind of like their backstory of each dog, which I like because each dog has its own little story. That's what it's pretty much about. It's fun. Um but also kind of heartbreaking because you kind of know what happens to a lot of these dogs. You know, if you read the first series, you know what happens to a lot of these, these dogs. So I like that, you know, they kind of touch bases on, you know, each character of the dog. And I'm sure the second one is going to continue with the rest of the pack. But it's uh, a treat. It's fun. Uh, it's I, I, I really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, I kind of I kind of flipped through it. Um, I eventually <laughs> you you were singing the praises of Stray Dogs the entire time, and I I think I finally jumped on on issue four and read it and, and really enjoyed it. Um, and, and yeah, this will definitely it will definitely be something that um, that fans of the Stray Dogs uh, miniseries are are going to pick up. Um, and I don't I don't want to say like it's I don't want to say like it's a cash grab or, or anything um, by the, uh, by the creators um, because I think there is a lot of value here and, and context to, to the story, but I also don't want people to go into it thinking that this is like a brand new stray dog story. Like it's not, you know, a story from cover to cover or, or what have you, like they're, they're little, you know, sort of two, three page um, little vignettes that, that basically show how each dog came to be in the house of the serial killer. So it's, it's their flashbacks. Um, I, I can't imagine that with the success of stray dogs that there won't be more stray dogs at some point, but I think um, Tony flex and Trish Forstner probably just wanted to get something out sooner and, and probably get back in the swing of things. It's probably been a while since they worked on stray dogs. So this isn't like a whole new brand new story. It's more flashback adding context to those other dogs and it's a chance for people who sent pictures of their own dogs in <laughs> to <laughs> the creators to have uh, their dogs show up in the back of the, of the comic, which is really awesome to see all those dogs show up. So, uh, okay. Up next, I have another Marvel title written by the aforementioned Jed McKay. A lot of artists on this one. We have Kev Walker, Greg Land and Jay Leistein, Mark Bagley and Andrew Hennessy. Colors are by Martea Garcia, letters by Ariana Mayer. Uh, it's called Timeless. It's a one shot. It's about Kang, but it also says the future of the Marvel Universe revealed. So it's basically a story of Kang traveling through time and along with a companion who he takes for a certain reason. And at one point in the story, we get a glimpse of because Kang is sort of outside of time in one of his bases. And we get this glimpse of all this different stuff that's going on. Um, and, and hints at what it could be. And so when I was talking before about Jed McKay taking a larger role, uh, you know, not that I think he's writing all of these stories, but th there are definitely some hints of, of things to come and things that, or, or possible things to come and things that you don't necessarily expect, right? Like the equivalent of uh, like the Batman who laughs, right? When, when the dark multiverse over at DC showed up and we got evil Batman. Like, how could that have happened? This seems like a little bit of the Marvel uh, equivalent of that. Good guys going bad and bad guys turning good and mashups of different characters and what have you for these possible timelines. So there's, there's some hints of what's to come, but it's a standalone story about Kang himself, which adds a lot of context to Kang on the heels of the Colin Kelly Jackson Lansing miniseries, which was very, very good. And sort of as a prelude to Kang showing up in the MCU and uh, you know, in a much larger way, uh, I think this is a, is a good read just on its own. Like even if none of the hints that we see here come to pass, but I don't think that's the case because there's so, so many little Easter eggs here. Um, and then in the back of the book, we get time marches on and the road forward winds through. And then we're shown these series that are coming out right now, the road forward, like the history and, and what's going to happen in the Marvel universe right now is completely wrapped up in what's happening in devil's reign death of dr strange 
the upcoming Fantastic Four Reckoning War, Avengers Forever from Jason Aaron, which just started, Amazing Spider-Man Beyond, which we just talked about, the lives and deaths of Wolverine, plus the Hulk Thor Banner War, which just got announced recently. When you get to the final page, it says Judgment Day is coming. And we see this symbol of the X-Men. We see the symbol of these uh, the Avengers. And we see another symbol that um, I'm not sure what it is. It's, it's unrecognizable to me. So maybe something yet to be revealed. Um, so if you're curious about some possible storylines that could be coming up in the Marvel Universe, you definitely want to check out Timeless. Uh, but like I said, even, even standing on its own, it's a very, very good Kang story. Um, and what I'm going to say next probably will not surprise you because you guys, uh, if you listen to this podcast, you'll know what I'm about to say uh, in terms of the art, because we have three different art teams here. And I just wish it was just one um, because although they, they put them in the correct order in terms of the first art style is more similar to the second than it is to the third. So at least the transition isn't as harsh as it could be, but these are still all very different art styles and i don't know how much time they had how much lead time it's got feel like this got announced a long time ago it is uh, 40 i think 42 pages 40 pages um but again i just wish i just wish it was a consistent style of art um but i did enjoy it quite a bit uh okay on to jay's last book uh one more marvel title this is from the kind of their wastelanders possible future where old man logan and old man hawkeye came from they've been putting out these wastelanders one shots about Heroes from that time. Uh, this one is the Star Lord Wastelanders one shot. It's written by Rich Duick. Brett Peoples is the artist. Chris Peter on colors and Corey Petit on letters. Um, and th- we're told at the beginning of this one that the story takes place before the conclusion of Old Man Quill number twelve, which is the uh, the Star Lord series that I tried to read but didn't get past. I think issue two or three just didn't interest me. Star-Lord's not a character that I really care about, um, especially his more recent portrayal, which really ties into the way Christopher Pratt um, portrays him in the, in the movie. It's just, it's not, it's not a character for me. I don't find him amusing or funny. He's just annoying. So uh, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't for me, but uh, I did glance kind of skim read this and it, it seemed okay. I, I would think if you're a fan of the character, you probably like it, but yeah, I can definitely skip it. Uh, what'd you think, Jay? <laughs> well, you're right. I like the uh, older Guardians of the Galaxy when, you know, Starler was kind of, you know, a badass. When they did the movie, they kind of went the other route, which I didn't like. It's like, don't copy from the movie. Leave it alone. Yep. But I did read Old Man Quill, the series, because I always liked, like, the Wasteland storyline with Old Man Logan. So I did read it. It was good. And we know that, uh, no spoilers, we know that uh, Old Man Quill was all in his head. You know, all his, the Guardians all died. But in his head, for up to a while, he thought they were still alive and kicking in his head, which is kind of like, I like that aspect of that storyline. Uh, this one's not bad. I, I, I think... They're kind of like you were saying, the money grab. <laughs> they were just, this story wasn't necessary. They could have just put it in the series. It would have been just fine. I think it was an afterthought. It's like, hey, we forgot to do this. Let's throw it in the story. But it's pretty much Quill going to visit uh, New York, I guess, to pay his respects and say goodbye to the uh, X-Men. Because if you have been a Star-Lord fan or read the storyline, you know that he dated uh, Pride and they were engaged at one time. So I guess since he wasn't there, he just wanted to say goodbye and you know pay his respects to uh, the X-Men team and their last stand in Winchester, uh, New York. 
it was good um because it's kind of like you think it was the same thing like the other story was all kind of like in his head uh, i don't want to give away too much but there is a villain in it and they tied up pretty good for this one shot story but again i think they could have just added it to the other series i just i guess when the writers came out they're like hey we forgot to add that storyline because as a fan of uh, the series, I was wondering, well, how come he never went to New York? You know, he, he never went there. So I guess that was just tying a blue sense to the story. But it wasn't bad. But again, I don't think it was necessary. They could have just added it or did it later, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I, it, it never quite clear to me why they didn't just, uh, like you said, how come this wasn't in the regular Old Man Quill series? It didn't necessarily make sense, but... Uh, anyway, last book I'm going to talk about from Image, it's Echo Lands, Hope's Crucible from J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman. They're co-creators and co-writers. Obviously, the art is by J.H. Williams III. Dave Stewart handles the colors. Todd Klein's on letters. This book has been just amazing throughout. It's landscape style as opposed to portrait style. So it, it's long ways, which makes for interesting layout. They take advantage of that, this issue, and they sort of tell two different stories um, in two different settings, which is really, really cool. Um, we get Rabbit, who was separated from the rest of the group um, a few issues ago, and we get his story with what's going on. And then we get the story of, of the rest of the survivors who are together, who uh, come to a come to a, a big decision on, on what the future will hold. And uh, what what's really interesting about the layout, the way they choose to tell the story with these two different timelines, is it shows that J.H. Williams can give us different styles. I think a lot of people think he just has one style, but man, you can really see the way he renders this, that there's subtle differences in the art. Um, and it, it really highlights how great, like by contrasting these two styles against each other, it really shows how talented he is. Um, and I, I love this story. There's a lot going on in this story. Uh, I've talked before about how the world is sort of a, a mishmash of of a post-apocalyptic familiar earth um, with aspects of, of sort of fantasy uh, with sort of familiar roots like um, Shogun warriors or Jack Kirby's fourth world or, you know, Marvel or DC or video games, or it's just, it's just feels like the story is a way for uh, J.H. Williams and, and W. Hayden Blackman to sort of pay tribute to all the, sort of nerdy things that they've loved, uh, you know, throughout their fandom, <clears throat> probably when they were kids and whatnot. So I just think it's great. It's an awesome story. I hear a lot of people talking about the art, but I don't, I don't hear enough people giving credit to these guys for what a, a fascinating world they've created. So uh, I highly recommend it. Hoping to have um, at least J.H. Williams, if not W. Hayden Blackman on the show to talk about the book. Soon we've engaged on social media several times. I've sent an email, I just haven't heard back, but you know, hol uh, holidays and whatnot, I'm sure you know, people are busy. So I'll, I'll send another little reminder to him after the first of the year and hopefully we can get him, uh, we can get him to come on the show and talk about it. Cause it can, I think, I think the book is just fantastic. It's really, really good. And uh, I, I definitely recommend it. So let me give a rundown on some other titles that you might want to be on the lookout for today. Um, for whatever reason, we didn't get the uh, preview of Across to Bear from Aftershock, although that title is really great. Uh, but the third issue is supposed to be coming out today, so you can look for that. <clears throat> we also have a couple collections from Aftershock. Girls of Dimension 13 from Graham Nolan is out. Also, Phantom of the Scan from Cullen Bunn 
is also out today. Uh, over at uh, Boom, we've got a new Dune series, A Whisper of the Kaladin Seas, number one. Uh, there's uh, also Power Rangers number 14, Once in Future number 23, and a new Power Rangers comic, uh, a limited series called Power Rangers Universe number one of six is also coming out uh, over at DC. And again, you can listen to the, all these on our DC Spotlight. Action Comics number 1038, Aquaman Green Arrow Deep Target number three of seven, Aquaman The Becoming number four of six, DC versus Vampires number three of 12, Deathstroke Incorporated number four. Detective Comics number 1046 is also out today, as is Flash number 777, 777. Uh, Harley Quinn number 10, which finally reunites Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Uh, so for all you Harley Ivy ship fans, uh, Human Target number three of 12, which has been a fantastic series from Tom King. Justice League number 70 from Brian Michael Bendis. Big Goings On and Robin number nine from uh, Joshua Williamson. Superman number 78, number five of six. So the penultimate issue by Robert Venditti. So good. It does such a great job of capturing the feel of the Richard Donner Superman movies. That's out as well. Uh, Swamp Thing Green Hell, number one of three, written by Jeff Lemire. This is a black label book. It's a possible post-apocalyptic future. And it's fantastic. It was my book of the week. It was amazing. I'm not even a Swamp Thing fan. That's how good it is. Uh, so I highly recommend that. Task Force Z, number three, from writer Matthew Rosenberg. And finally, from DC, uh, Teen Titans Academy, number 10, is also out this week. Uh, over at Image, in addition to the books that we talked about, uh, Mirko Andolfo's Sweet Paprika, number six of 12, is also out this week. And then there's a few other Marvel titles besides what we talked about. We've got uh, Star Wars Bounty Hunters, number 19. And uh, that's it, I guess. We really sort of talked about everything else. There's a few collections here or there, but like I said, sort of a, uh, a lighter week. Uh, I mean, I've seen only one Star Wars book out from Marvel's really quite strange, to be honest with you. So I think it'll be a, an easier week on a lot of people's pocketbooks because there's not a lot uh, of books coming out uh, this week. But I will also mention from Vault Comics, we've got Blue Flame, number six, uh, written by Christopher Cantwell, which is, which I'm a big fan of. Um, and that reminds me, I think, I think we also have Christopher Cantwell's other book, but I didn't, I didn't see it. Did I miss it? Huh? Maybe it's not out this week. I thought that it was, but anyway, uh, Jay, anything else that you want to mention that's coming out this week? Oh, yeah. I would say my book of the week was uh, Stray Dogs because I like the series. Um, Scout Comics has uh, Cult of Icarus, number one, coming out. That's by uh, Gina Lynn Wright and art by Carl uh, Shemisky. It's with vampires and rock and roll, and it's focused on one girl trying to find out her past. It, it just looks interesting to me. Um, I'm surprised you forgot about uh, comicsology. You got Brainstormers and you got uh, The Book of Evil, two new uh, series coming out. Yeah, those, I think... I think those come out on Thursday. Okay. So, uh, yeah, kind of strange because the previous ones have been coming out on Tuesdays. Um, but, yeah, you're you're right. Those those should be out sometime this week uh, as well. Oh, yeah. Scott Snyder, so I got I to gotta, gotta watch it. I got to check it out. <laughs> yeah, and, and for that matter, be sure you guys go and check out our, um, our episode from yesterday 
uh, where we reviewed Claire number three, uh, which was absolutely fantastic. And there should be an episode coming out later today or later on Wednesday, if you're listening to this uh, at a later time, uh, covering uh, Night of the Ghoul number three. So yeah, definitely looking forward to the next wave of, uh, of Best Jacket Press books and looking forward to having Scott again on uh, soon, probably sometime in January. So uh, I guess that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. We want to thank you for joining us as always. Don't forget to subscribe to the Comic Source on your favorite podcast platform or app. Uh, we really appreciate the support. And, uh, you know, the more subscribers we have, the better helps us gain access and get more interviews and all that kind of good stuff. So, uh, again, we thank you all for joining us. We hope you had a great holiday and everybody's going to have a happy and prosperous new year. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.